Well, as we begin today, I have a question for you that will lead into some questions I'd like to address. All right, here's the question. When was the last time that you talked to someone of a different faith about why you believe what you believe in the Bible? Well, let's get a little more specific here. When was the last time that maybe you talked to a Roman Catholic friend, neighbor, loved one, and had a good, healthy discussion? Now, you, you may be listening, and I'm thrilled if you are, and you're Roman Catholic. So let me ask you, as a Roman Catholic, when was the last time you talked to someone that would probably classify himself or herself as an evangelical? Think about it for a moment. Time's up, because I already know the answer. Very few of us have good, solid interaction with those that have a different position under the banner of Christianity. And that's a sad thing. It's an unfortunate thing. I think of uh, neighbors that we had for years that we consider good friends. But what was interesting about our neighbors is they went on record early on and said, we don't talk about politics or religion. Okay, <laughs> you know, that eliminates a lot of things, especially in our world today. So when was the last time you had a conversation? I'm going to assume you're an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian in view of the station. That's probably our predominant audience. And so when was the last time you had a healthy interaction with a, a Roman Catholic friend again, or a family member, or maybe it was your neighbor who you know attends the local Catholic church? First of all, why do these conversations get so hostile? That's the tendency. Well, there are several reasons that I would suggest to you, and I look at these all with a view towards saying, hey, there's got to be a better approach to this. Some of the reasons we have hostile exchanges is that we we have hostile people. We have people that are extremely dogmatic, that aren't open to listening to the other person. Now, that could be you. It could be me. But you have an exchange back and forth. You, you need to be willing to listen and listen patiently to what a person is sharing, what they are saying. Now, ironically, what I have discovered is those who are even nominal in their beliefs tend to get very emotional when they start to talk about these things. You may not have opened your Bible in a long period of time, but boy, if a Roman Catholic person says to you, if you're not part of the Mother Church, you're in trouble, you suddenly, you're ready to kind of go at it in terms of what the Bible really says. But I've also seen the flip side, where a nominal Catholic will get very aggressive in their response. These are deeply emotional issues for us, and, and they ought to be. It's understandable. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about whether or not when you die, you go to heaven or you do not. Can anything be more serious than that? I don't think so. So if we're going to have conversations, we have to begin with mutual respect. We have to begin with a commitment to patience and to listening and to spending some time together. And when we do that, we also need be, to be committed to the reality that if things begin to get a bit uncomfortable, it's better off to say, hey, I love you. I think you love me. And we maybe need to pick up our conversation at another time. Rather than find yourself getting back and forth in a way that it be, makes it difficult in terms of going forward at, in a future date. But be willing to, as it says in the scriptures, speak the truth in love. What does that look like, though? Speaking the truth in love. Now, some will say, well, if I just tell them what the Word of God says and demand that they respond. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, it's important. We, we're, we've got to be talking about truth, that's for sure. But how we communicate truth is absolutely essential. So we speak the truth in love. How you define a loving expression of the truth, that, that's subjective to say the least. I would point out to you, though, that at times 
when we make very dogmatic statements in a way that tends to put the other person down, we're not going to make any progress. We're not going to go anywhere in a conversation. If I were to say, hey, you're, you're going to hell, just, you know, flat out, you're going to hell. Now, by the way, that may be true, but that's not going to help a conversation in terms of really talking about how do I know where I look for truth about heaven and hell so that I can go to heaven. And I, I can remember this day with my own dad when I first became a believer, having trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. At one point, my dad just was puzzled by this. He couldn't figure out what had happened to me. He realized he couldn't say it was bad because I'm sitting there reading the Bible. And at some point, he's asking me some questions. And I, and I really felt the Holy Spirit moving at this point in me. And I said, Dad, and my dad and I had, you know, some tough turf for a lot of years because he had some major issues. And, but I said, Dad, I love you, and I just want to be in heaven with you. And he didn't know what to say. But, you know, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? To say to the person you're talking to, hey, I care about you. I do have a certain belief system that I, that I'm, that I embrace, and I want to share it with you, but I'm open to where you're coming from. But don't we both want to be together in heaven? Isn't that the way we need to approach this? To express that kind of love and concern for one another? That, that's what I think. Now, again, it's not easy because they are, these are heavy emotional issues, to say the least. So be careful how you approach this. Don't get in fights. They're absolutely worthless. They really are. And some of the things I see on the Internet make me literally nauseous when I see how people respond and post things attacking the other side. It's just unhealthy. It's not the least bit profitable. So now here's another question. Why is it that Roman Catholicism and, let's just say, evangelical Christianity, Bible-believing Christians, why is it that they hold two different beliefs? Well, let's first of all point out that we do have some beliefs that we share in common, and they're important, to say the least. We all believe that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. We believe that God is one, yet in the Godhead we have three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that Jesus Christ took on humanity was born of a virgin, came to earth to die for our sins. We all believe that. And there are other essential beliefs biblically that we are embracing together. But when it comes to things like why is there a priesthood, why is there the constant sacrifice of the Mass, where it is believed that the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ is taken in, by those that receive the Eucharist. Why do they hold to that? And other beliefs. Why the beliefs in Mary that are so important to many Catholics? Well, here, here's the big thing. Pull back for a moment and realize that there are Bible-believing Christians, and I would put myself in, in that category, that believe we look to the Bible as the authority, not just the ultimate authority, but the authority in terms of what God has communicated about himself and about life this side of heaven and how to get to heaven. So we embrace the Word of God and the Word of God only. In Roman Catholicism, there are really three sources of authority in terms of the beliefs that Catholics embraced. There is, first of all, the Word of God. Yes, they believe the Scriptures. 
Now, it wasn't until the Protestant Reformation that the Roman Catholic Church added additional books that you'll find in their Bible. Now, those books are largely historical. So, the Roman Catholic Church does embrace the Bible as authoritative, but they add to the Bible, on an equal footing, by the way, they add in the magisterium of the Pope, that is, the teaching ministry of the Pope. When the Pope speaks, then that's considered ultimate truth, especially when he speaks ex cathedra, which means from the chair of Peter. And so when the Pope teaches, that's what Catholics are compelled to accept and compelled to believe. Whereas with evangelicals, we believe we can all come to the Bible. We can find different people that analyze it, that really dig into the text. And we are responsible to decide what the Word of God says, each and every one of us. Now, there is a third source of truth that the Roman Catholic Church looks to in order to present its belief system. And that third aspect of truth that they look to is tradition. Tradition would be a number of accounts outside of the Word of God, the canon of Scripture, a number of stories that uh, that circulated, a number of things that were beyond the scriptures, but yet made their way through history. And at some point in the course of the uh, a given pope analyzing one of these stories, the pope then would declare, speaking ex cathedra, which is a time in which they claim the pope is infallible. He can't make a mistake. And many of these traditions have to do with Mary, who was a virgin when she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and brought forth the promised one, Jesus Christ, and gave him his humanity. And so the things that you'll hear about Mary largely come from tradition. And here is where we have a divergence. That's critical because we in the evangelical community, Bible-believing churches, do not accept the, quote, authority of the Pope as outlined by Roman Catholicism, nor in tradition. We rely totally on what the Word of God says. And so that leads, obviously, to some differences in terms of a belief system. And that brings us to the most critical question, and that is, can I be good enough for heaven? What must I do to, to be able to go to heaven? What do I do to have eternal life? I, I think of the, the thief on the cross who looked over at Jesus and acknowledged that he was a sinner. He was a true thief. And he looked at Jesus, and he trusted in who, he, who Jesus is and what he was doing. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Those who embrace biblical truth alone hold to the position that at a moment in time, like the thief on the cross, we acknowledge our sins and we trust totally, completely in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, his shed blood. We trust that he was crucified, died, buried, and rose again, and we trust in that for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that very moment, the merits of the cross are imputed or given to us so that the Heavenly Father really looks at us, but all he sees is the perfect life of his Son, Jesus Christ. And so it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To believe is to trust. Now in Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic belief system Salvation does not take place at a moment in time, as viewed by the Catholic Church, but is something that plays out over time. And if you fall into a mortal sin, as defined by the Church, you're in eternal jeopardy. 
I was on an airplane with a really delightful man, and we had a good conversation, and it turned out that he was a layman, but he was pretty involved in the leadership of his church, his Catholic church. And as we're talking, we're talking basically along this line that I'm saying that, hey, I trusted in Jesus Christ on this date, and my life's been changed. Everything changed at that moment. And as we're sitting there on the plane, I said, well, let me give you a hypothetical. We're here right now on an airplane. We're at 30,000 feet. This uh, stewardess just walked by. If you looked at her incorrectly, all right, in a way that was sinful, what would happen if the plane went down? And this man said, without hesitation, I'd go to hell. And I'm thinking, what? And see, it was all on him. Where was the trust in Christ? Where was the forgiveness that he has received because he acknowledged he was a sinner? And like the thief on the cross, looked at Jesus Christ and knew that at that very moment, his sins were going to be forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. That's a lot more I can say about this, and I hope to do so. In fact, make sure you go to livetheword.org, sign up for our website, because I want to illustrate this in a number of different ways, and I would really love to be able to share these truths with you. And it helps to be able to, to put some passages in front of you, and as well as some illustrations of this idea of the, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us while our sins are placed on his cross. Thanks so much for listening. Love to hear from you. Send me an email, john at livetheword.org.